This episode of Dear Asian Americans is brought to you by Toyota. As a proud partner of those who dare to dream, Toyota isn't settling with having them as words on a page. The stories of these Asian American dreamers need to be seen, heard, and supported. We hope these stories will inspire you to chase your own Asian American dream. Welcome to the Asian Americans, the Asian American Dreamer series. Here we are with Nora Ali, a multi-hyphenate of all sorts of different things. So we'll get to all of that. But primarily, I guess foremost, a friend of mine and a friend of the show, we are joining you here from the Pacific Ocean on a beach site here in Los Angeles. Maybe you can see it in the background, but it's a beautiful day. And I want to take this time to explore your journey into yes. your career that has taken zigs and zags mm -hmm. and certainly not done, but, you know, I think many look to you, particularly South Asian woman, and apply the term, wow, she's doing something that I aspire to be. She's doing something that I didn't know was possible for us. And so this idea of you chasing your own dream and what we're deciding to call the Asian American dream, yeah. which is a subset of what we've been taught as the overall American dream, but very different for us, obviously, given mm -hmm. our family backgrounds or family expectations, cultural values, and and just the career paths that many of us were expected to take. Yeah. And so give us a brief history or story of what you do now and what you initially did coming out of school and sort of how we can bridge those two things together. Well, thanks for having me, Jerry. Excited to be here. Let's start from the beginning. Yep. I studied finance and statistics in college. And the default thing to do at the time at least amongst my peers, was to go work at an investment bank. So I went to go work at Goldman. And that was kind of what was expected of me, having been in the sort of business and economics world as far as my studies. And Goldman Sachs is a name that <laughs> all my relatives knew. It's like you tell them that you work at Goldman Sachs, the conversation can kind of end there. Like, right. okay, I understand. And you move on. And then after a few years there, I decided that I wanted to go try working for a startup, which... Mm -hmm at that time, was starting to become the cool thing to do. And it was called Jet.com, an e-commerce company. It was sub 100 people, super early stage. I joined it. It was amazing. Got acquired by Walmart for $3.5 billion, which was exciting to see. And making that transition was something that I had to work myself up to explaining to my parents. Mm -hmm. You're leaving the secure job at Goldman to go work at this random tiny e-commerce company. And then when it gets acquired for $3.5 billion, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, we get it. <laughs> It's, it's like a real company. And then I switched over to working at Cheddar as a news anchor, covering tech and business and entertainment and politics, a little bit of everything. And now currently I am the co-founder of a production company and we're creating content that touches on business, entrepreneurship, innovation, et cetera, but really across genres. And I was lucky enough to have a couple of angel investors support me in that journey and actually ask me to do that. So I'm building in the media business, which you and I both know is very difficult. <laughs> it is. And, and not only are you building yourself this Asian American dream of your own Nora dream, you're doing the part of sharing other people's stories. So not your main job, but you do host a podcast yep. for the Morning Brew Network mm -hmm. called Business Casual, where I've been fortunate to be a guest on it. Yeah. But you've really taken the opportunity to use your platform and your voice to bring on stories of immigrants, of other folks of exactly. color, yep. to say, how are you doing business differently? Because I think yeah. 
Again, the reason why we're calling this the Asian American dream is that it is very much like the American dream that we were taught to think of, mm -hmm. but it's just a little different. It is, and it's yeah. not that it's bad or it's worse. It's just, it's different because yeah. we have, as you mentioned, I mean, we still have to think about what our parents are going to think. Mm -hmm. And we're grown people, <laughs> yes. right? So we're grown people. But even, you know, thinking about what is mom going to think? What is exactly. her extended network going exactly. to think? And, and I wonder, when did that quiet down for you? Because you did mention too, and, and I find myself and my friends doing the same thing. It only became acceptable or even applauded when there was objective success. Right. So Jet.com right. was cool once it was sold, <laughs> yes. right? The thing that I was doing was fine once I got to, you know, have deals mm -hmm. or I got invited to certain places. Mm -hmm. exactly. And so the goal is through these conversations to eliminate that expectation. Yeah. To be able to support and to applaud our friends doing anything they want. Totally. But for you, how was that? journey and do you still feel like what you're doing now yeah that you're still thinking about oh what is auntie xyz going to think <laughs> it's funny you should say that because i think i had considered my jobs in terms of how easily my parents could explain to their extended family what it is that i do so going to work for this at the time random startup it was a little bit difficult for them to exactly explain what it was that I was doing. So that was a consideration for me. And then going to anchor TV, that was very random. It wasn't anywhere in my career trajectory necessarily, but I found validation in that because they could literally put me on TV mm. and tell my other relatives, you tune into this channel, you type in cheddar.com, you'll see Nora on TV. Right. So it's the ease with which you can explain what it is that I do that used to drive me, but now building a production company without anything that's on air yet, you, you get asked by your relatives, oh, what channel can I tune into to see what you're working on? I'm like, not yet. It takes time and all of that. So it's been a journey for me to try to let go of needing that external validation and affirmation from my relatives. And honestly, something that I talked to my therapist about too is I have never been more confident in the path that I'm in career-wise. Mm -hmm. And that's because I know I've always wanted to build something from scratch. I've kind of known that I wanted to end up in the world of media and entertainment. And even though my relatives can't maybe exactly explain to others what it is I do, I've finally gotten to that point of comfort that, you know, it's, it's not about what others think and what others, their ease of explaining what I do. It's really about how I'm enjoying every day. How does that impact you? Because I think we talk about wanting to be reputable or be relatable yeah. to our family. But I think a part of what we sometimes judge ourselves by, too, is that even though we like to think that brands don't matter, mm -hmm. that logos on a resume don't matter, they still do. Yeah. And, and you and I have had been the beneficiaries of having globally recognized logos on our resumes that yeah. have afforded us opportunities yeah. that objectively other friends with similar mm -hmm. talents without that don't mm -hmm. and so I, I think we still live in a world where we'd like to you know venture off and, and do you know a podcast that nobody's heard of yeah but when we get to work on a cool deal like this with Toyota then it's mm -hmm. it gives us validation mm -hmm. not only to the world but for ourselves yeah well I, I think what is helpful to younger generations now is knowing that it is the norm to have a circuitous path and to start your own company that might not get any traction for many, many years to go work for a tiny startup that has no name recognition whatsoever. I think when I had first started my career, it was still abnormal to kind of 
have a new job every couple of years. Now it's totally normal. And having a gap in your resume is normal, which I think our generation that is accepted, but it is still difficult to explain to your parents and your older relatives. Oh, you know, I'm actually maybe don't have a job right now. I'm just building towards something. I don't have, I don't have funding or whatever the story might be, but it doesn't matter because they'll see that you're happy. It sounds so cliched. But I think just the idea of talking about mental health and therapy amongst immigrant families is becoming a little bit more normal now. And when I first started started to make this about therapy, but I think it's such an important part of my journey as a child of immigrants. When I first started therapy, my mom thought, you know, it's only for people who are messed up. Right. And it's not necessarily trying to be proactive about your own mental health. But now, and I'll be home in Minnesota visiting. I'm like, oh, mom, I have to go, you know, pop into therapy. She's like, great. Instead of asking me, why are you in therapy? Right. So it's it's really making progress in terms of our elders understanding that our happiness is the most important thing and not the labels that we have on our resumes. And I think us in this middle generation have maybe a, call it a burden, but I think this great opportunity and gift to sort of do so much so that the next generation of, you know, young folks or even our children after Mm -hmm. us have it that much easier because so much has changed. The technology has changed so much in our lifetime. Yeah. But also this identity of what it Mm -hmm. means to be Asian in this country, much of it for really unfortunate reasons of us being in the spotlight for not such great things, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of difficult conversations. But I think it has forced our parents and that generation to reevaluate mm-hmm. what could come or what should come from the sacrifices that they made. 100%. And so, and it sounds like, you know, and obviously having been your friend and, and seeing you engage with your family, you have very open-minded and loving parents who are very supportive. And then unfortunately, not everybody has that. And right. I, I want to ask you, you know, what things that you've experienced with your parents or, you know, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. you not only openly talk about therapy, but with your parents mm-hmm. or with your mother as well. Mm-hmm. How can others really sort of bridge that gap? Because I think we need to either heal or to talk about how we can redefine that dream. Yeah. Because we often have been told that because our parents made the sacrifice, that they have the right to dictate what we do with that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And that's just not fair. Mm-hmm. and our parents would say, hey, I did all these things for you. Why can't you just sure. go to law school? Right, right. Why can't you just marry the person yeah. that I want you to marry? Oh, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> it's really transformed for me over time, and I think the most important thing I've learned is to include my parents in my decisions and the conversations because when I switched from Goldman to Jet.com, I didn't tell them I was interviewing. I didn't tell them about it at all until I had the offer. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, by the way, you parents, I made a big decision and I gave them all my XYZ reasons. They had questions for me. They were ultimately very happy for me. But in this latest career transition and starting this company, when my investors had come to me to sort of ask me to start this company, the first people I called were my parents. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I understood and I knew that they would understand that this is such a big decision. They know it's the path that I want to be on. And they loved being included in all of the decisions around it. So I think even if you're afraid to tell your parents that you're making a career switch or you're quitting your job to start something, just talk to them. They're happy to be included and happy to know that you trust them and that you are seeking out their support and guidance. I think that's super important. And I think it's really important to also understand for ourselves that they're operating from a complete 
different perspective, mm-hmm. a different knowledge base and exposure base than we are. Yeah. I, I think sometimes I have to remind myself constantly that my parents grew up in Korea mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. So they've had to both change generationally, which all parents do, yeah. but also a continental shift in culture. Yeah. That what is, I mean, is there really one way to define American? Of course not. Mm-hmm. That's why we're here. But to think about how all of that means, we're so used to Googling something or asking a group text yeah. or all of these things, right? <laughs> right, right. And they didn't have that. Yeah. And so our, our parents are operating the best way that they know, mm-hmm. but not really knowing what this world is. And, right. And that, I think, is the, the gift and the burden that we have to yeah. explain it to them, too. Mm-hmm. Not in a way that shames them, <laughs> but to say, hey, like, I think that this is important. I, you know, I, I've said this on the show plenty. For like the first year and a half of me doing this, uh-huh. I don't think my parents knew what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they didn't really understand what the revenue model or what the business model was. Right, right. And it wasn't until, I think for my dad, at least, I got the invite to the White House. They were like, yes. oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. Right. <laughs> and, and so how do we do that? Right. And again, I don't. Mm-hmm. I want this to be accessible. I want people to see what you do mm-hmm. and what other friends do to chase their own dream mm-hmm. without having to feel like mm. they can be a part of a billion-dollar exit at a startup right? or to right. have household names as your investors or to get invited to the White House Yeah, to feel that because not everybody has that, nor should they mm. have that as a qualifier to their yeah. dream. Yeah, I think what you mentioned about just how different it was for our career, for our parents to even find their careers. Because I was talking to my mom about this pretty recently, and they were in Bangladesh. They came to the U.S. to go to grad school in Kentucky, of all places. In order to find their first job, it's like you were literally opening up a phone book and making phone calls to their chemist, phone calls to chemistry departments, hoping that there's an opening, Right. Like, how nuts is that when we have LinkedIn and we have all these different ways to find jobs? I think what has sort of helped me think about the way that my parents think about finding a new career differently is highlighting who my networks are, who these people like the fact that I'm coming here to see you. And my mom was so excited. She's like, oh, you're going to be on a podcast. I thought you just host podcasts. Yeah, mom, I'm on podcasts sometimes. <laughs> so explaining that you have this sort of community of support and you're not doing it by yourself because founding, starting a company, as you know, can be very lonely, but emphasizing to your parents that I'm in this whole new world and there's a lot of support around it and people accept failures. And that's part of the whole experience. Just Again, including them in the conversations versus just waiting for the milestones and just waiting for the successes to to call them up. I still struggle with that. You know, they ask me for updates on my company and I don't like to talk about it as much unless I have this big win that I can share with them. But I'm starting to just be a little bit more communicative and that's really helped both sides of it. Yeah, and I think, again, it's going back to a little bit of empathy for our parents, understanding how they were taught. Yeah. Because it was hell of a lot more linear than the way we're thinking about life. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. important for us not to shame them saying, you don't know anything, mm-hmm. but help them understand what we're doing in the context that makes sense to them. Exactly. So when somebody looks at your resume, at the beginning, they'll see Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. And today they'll see founder of a media company mm-hmm. that is working on a whole lot of things that we can't talk about yet. <laughs> and again, that gap is really hard especially if somebody's listening who mm-hmm. is in a job such as investment banking or consulting mm-hmm. that just seems so linear in the micro mm-hmm. 
And it doesn't really make sense for that person, for her or him to think about how do I get to do what Nora does? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to us about advice for that person, Mm -hmm. because you can't, you would not have gone from there to here without, you know, some of the the detours or some mm-hmm. of the zigzags yeah. that we've talked about because in between that you start up tv personality yeah. podcast person mm-hmm. you know all these things what's the advice for that person who doesn't know how to fill in yeah. whatever's between a and z for me i think the key was not thinking too long term because i was at goldman i realized that this wasn't what i wanted my entire career path to be So I thought, what is a risk I can take Mm. that still taps into expertise that I've built at Goldman? Every career choice I've made seems kind of random and zigzaggy, but it's kind of like a pyramid. It's all really built off of the foundation of each previous job I've had. So in applying to startups, the way that I pitched myself in these rooms was as a generalist because early stage startups want to hire people oftentimes who can literally do any job that you give them. And I had a background in statistics. So I was like, you know, I I can be a data person. I can be a marketing person. I'm very good at synthesizing a lot of information because that's kind of what I was doing at Goldman as a research analyst. And I took calculated risks. Mm. And then going from Jet.com to anchoring at Cheddar, there were extracurricular activities I had done growing up. I'm a pianist and a violinist, so I performed on stages all the time. I would MC fundraisers and was very comfortable being on a mic and being on stage. And that's how I packaged myself as I was applying to be a, you know, a business anchor. A, I have performance experience and B, I've worked in a bank and I've worked at a startup. This is the topics that you cover. So I have actual industry expertise. And then transitioning from that into building my own company I worked at an early stage startup. I've built products from scratch and I can apply that knowledge to building a company from scratch. So it really is about what your skill sets are, what you enjoy doing the most and finding ways to really package yourself in the interview room. And also cold emailing, cold messaging yeah. people on LinkedIn, on on email, DMs, whatever. That's how I got my foot in the door at Cheddar. That was probably the biggest pivot was from Jet to Cheddar. And I had just cold LinkedIn, some talent agents, and one of them got back to me and introduced me to that open role at Cheddar. So yeah, keeping your networks really wide, even if you feel like you have nothing to offer them, some people out of the goodness of their hearts will get back to you and give you a shot. And I, and I owe a lot of people that. And you and I met in a LinkedIn audio event <laughs> room. We said, holy crap, this is somebody I want to get to know. And you happen to be in LA for another conference, I think a couple of weeks after that. And yeah. so what's your take on, what's the advice on growing networks? Mm-hmm. And again, to me, building a network is like planting a garden. Mm-hmm. You don't plant an apple tree if you want to eat an apple tomorrow. Yeah. You need to have planted that long time exactly. ago, not knowing when you're going to want the apple. Definitely. And so we don't dream by ourselves, or I guess we can dream by ourselves, but the execution of the dream or the manifestation of the dream doesn't happen in a vacuum alone. Mm -hmm. And so what is, you know, how do you view building networks Mm -hmm. and building a team of people that may help you, may not help you? Because a lot of these opportunities have opened up because of people, not Mm -hmm. because of, you know, circumstances. Exactly. And my latest opportunity building this company came from a previous boss that I had in, you know, totally different industry. 
So I love your planting seed analogy because I used to think that if I reached out to someone to be a mentor, be in my network, I felt like my ask had to be very specific, mm. whether it was for a 15 minute phone call or here's three questions. I would love you to like, it doesn't have to be specific. I love, and, and I, I'm kind of in the middle, right? I seek out mentors, but people now seek me out as a mentor myself. I love when I just get a message from someone who says, love your work on the business casual podcast. I'm doing X, Y, Z with my life, really inspired by your career would just love to stay in touch. They're not asking me even for a meeting. They're not asking for anything. And then I'll see an open job for some host or in in the journalism space. And I'll remember, oh, this young person was trying to pivot into media. Let me connect. It comes to fruition later on. It doesn't have to be a very calculated and intentional ask in that moment. So I've tried to do that more as well whether it's reaching out to new people or even sending random thank yous to people who have impacted my career. Mm. Just like, hey, I've been thinking about you and could, really couldn't have made this career leap without you. Just wanted to say hi, that's it. And you don't have a particular ask. So I think remember that people feel good when they feel like they've helped you and they'll continue to sort of pay it forward. So I think that's really helped me. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes we live in this era where everything is about efficiency and everything is about a life <laughs> Transactional. Pack. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I, I want I want to encourage people who are listening or watching to think about life as a forever game mm-hmm. and that you never know when you're going to need help or want yeah. help. Yeah. Because I think a lot of what we see even on LinkedIn is like, you know, follow this script to get a response. Right, right. And, and it just, and, and as a recipient of many of these, you know, you know, templates or yeah. copy and paste jobs, as I'm sure you have. It's just, I, I want to coach these young people to say, hey, look, like, I under, I completely understand why you think this is the right way to do it. Yeah. But there's a complete different way, in my mind, a much more fruitful and ROI positive way to mm-hmm. build relationships and to give first and offer help first instead yeah. of saying, hey, can you help me with this one very specific thing right. that I want to do right now? It'll also get people to respond to you if you're not asking for something sure. specific in the moment. If someone sends me a nice note and says, we'll love to stay in touch. I'm way more likely to respond like, oh, so great to meet you. Right. Yes, let's stay in touch. Because I'm. if you ask me for a 30-minute phone call, I have to either find a reason why I can't or I have right. to look in my calendar and figure out when that 30-minute phone right. call is. So it's just nice to create these organic relationships, to your point, where you don't know when it's going to pay off. Right. It might not even ever pay off. Right. But the okay. more people you know, right. the more chance you have of something paying off. In the aggregate, it will. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Don't ever ask somebody to pick your brain. That's... Yo, I easy way, dislike that. Easy way to so not get a response from somebody. Much. I don't um, want my brain picked. <laughs> we, you've done some great things and you've chased your own Asian American dream. Mm-hmm. How do we allow more people to do what you do? How do we make it more possible and more probable for the next person to have it easier for them to chase her own dream than maybe you and I've had it? This is a very big pillar and value that I have in the company that I'm building is every project we take on, everything we do has to have some lens of helping to elevate historically excluded people, whether it's the production companies we partner with, or it's the people whose stories we tell, or it's the showrunners that we pick to actually create these shows. I want to be that place that people know they can go to if they don't have that linear path they don't have that in they don't know exactly how to navigate the world of 
in my case, entertainment, which, mm. as we know, is historically it's still pretty yeah. archaic. You know, the, there's certain kinds of people that are still very much in charge. So I think for those of us who have a platform and a position of power like this is be extra intentional about choosing to help people and work with people and elevate people who wouldn't have the access without us. I think that's beautiful. And, I, I, you know, the one the work that you do that I think makes this conversation a little bit more, you know, hits home for me. Obviously, we do similar work in the podcast and sort of the media space. Mm -hmm. But you're out there. People see you. People hear you. And, you know, even on, again, the show that you host, it is important that you are the host. But it mm -hmm. is more important to me and for a lot of people that you have used that privilege and position to mm -hmm. invite other people onto the show. Yeah. Who, frankly, if you weren't the host, I don't know if I would have ever gotten an invite. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, that's not a, a reflection on anything else, but sure. you've been intentional in trying to make space for that. And yeah. it is honorable because we talk about representation, but it's proper representation. Yeah. And it is having that person in that role that will use totally. their power to make something happen. And it's hard because you have to go against what's easiest. Yeah. And... Just using the example of Morning Brew and Business Casual, there's a certain demographic. It's maybe not the most diverse demo of audiences that they have, and they're obviously working towards it, but having on guests that are from historically excluded backgrounds might not show value in the numbers right away, right? It takes time to build new audiences, bring in people who otherwise wouldn't be paying attention to Business Casual. And you have to work against momentum yeah. oftentimes. And people will tell you it's not working because the numbers aren't showing. And you just have to be patient and get ready for people to disagree with you. Sure. And that's been one of the challenges for me is even in pitching shows to networks and streamers to buyers for my production company, people will say, oh, you know, this is not like mainstream enough. This is very specific. Like I pitched a show. I, we chatted about this a little bit about Asian American founders specifically and one of the first pieces of feedback I got was, you know, their audience is just not big enough for this. There just aren't enough people who care. I'm like, it doesn't have to be everybody. But also, sure. do you know how large the population is We're of Asian the, people the world. <laughs> on this planet? Don't forget. But yep. people have these ways that they've been thinking for decades. Yeah. You just got to be patient and try to change it. Sure. <laughs> one person at a time. Uh, and, and, and thanks for making time. You flew in from New York just for this, so I, I appreciate you doing that. Like and I said before, I'll fly anywhere for you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> you can find all things Nora at NoraAli.com, right. at NoraAli on Instagram. You can check out the Business Casual podcast on the Morning Brew Network. And if all goes as planned, you'll see a lot more of our work on your TV, on your phone, on your streaming, whatever you do, <laughs> wherever you do it. Really, thank you for primarily doing what you do, because I think you are an inspiration to so many. The way that you do things is honorable and inspirational specifically to me and the people that I get to share your story with. Aww. And so it means a lot. Best of luck in all that you do. And uh, we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you for everything that you do. One of the biggest champions of this community. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Nora, for sharing her story of her Asian-American dream. You can learn more about Nora at NoraAli.com, on Twitter at NoraKAli, or on Instagram at NoraAli. Also, thank you to Toyota for their partnership of the Asian-American Dreamer series on this podcast. Head over to YouTube to watch the full video version of this episode, and check out at the Americans on Instagram to view short-form video highlights. This has been your host, Jerry Wan, and the Americans, keep on dreaming.